Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello everyone and welcome to The Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I am, as ever, Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett as ever, talking all things Manchester United, as ever. And we're going to talk about strikers today because there's a lot of talk going around about Manchester United's potential January acquisition and some targets for the summer as well. Rob, how are you? Very well. It's a bit of a dark and gloomy day today. We always seem to start the show on like what the weather's like. Uh, Normally I have the sun screaming down on me, don't we, in the summer when we're doing the show, but it's absolutely pitch black and dark. It feels like it's about five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, and um, it is. Uh, it's nearly ten a.m. So this is, if you're watching on YouTube, pretty grim. Uh, it's raining in London. It's not great at all. Very cold and windy. Anyway, we're not here to talk about weather. Uh, subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. That's a lovely. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what I'm. What am I doing? That was not a nice little lead in there. Subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, and the likes, and watch us twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays. I think we should be back to normal now. Head over to YouTube. Our channel is The Promised Land, a Manchester United podcast. Hit the like button, subscribe, join the community, and leave a comment for us as well. And the link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on an audio platform. And follow us on Twitter, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promised Land MU for the show. Today, we'll be talking all about how Man United fix their long-term number nine problem because Anthony Martial is probably the only option they really have on the books at the moment. Marcus Rashford's been filling in. Bruno Fernandes can play there, but he would be in the false nine role and that's not the optimal uh, approach. Ten Hag does like to work with a proper striker who can press from the front, et cetera, et cetera. How do they fix that problem? And what is Eric Ten Hag's approach to it? going to be that's what we will talk about uh we'll talk about about veghorst as well because that is the man on everybody's lips at the moment uh talk of a potential loan move to old trafford for the dutchman in january we'll also talk about the joe felix option which seems to have gone because chelsea are signing every player in the world uh we'll talk victor awesome and harry kane and benjamin sesco who this week it's been confirmed uh by other media uh, that United are looking at. I mean, reported this a number of months ago as well on a bunch of these players. I know we've been speaking the Harry Kane interest into existence over the last few weeks as well. And it seems to have manifested. Makes a lot of sense to me. We'll talk about which option is potentially best down the line. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about some other things as well. Wage capping story from the other day, et cetera, et cetera. But Rob, uh, let's get started with what is Eric Ten Hag's plan for center forward from let, let's say he's here let, let's say hopefully he's here for the for as long as it's successful right but let's say he's here for five years right five seasons what is his plan from now until the end of that five years well strikers are shiny and they excite so people like to talk about them so that's one of the reasons why we're talking about them but of course 
there is a pressing need at Manchester United. That wasn't a pun using the word pressing, but there, it, I'll come back to that. Where are Man United at the moment? You just talk about their kind of like five-year plan. Now, of course, with the sale of the football club, it's kind of difficult to talk about long-term ambition in who you're going to get. But there is there is a part of the story there that we'll come to at the end of this segment in terms of what Man United will do probably next summer and what we're hearing. But at the moment, as you just said there, <laughs> I kind of laughed inside, you know, the name Valt Veghorst is on everyone's lips. And that is not a headline I was writing last week. <laughs> not at all. So it's 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 not kind of sad, but Man United fans are a bit like, oh, this is kind of not what we signed up for, is it? But this is actually the kind of striker that the manager likes. So like you just said there, he likes to work with the big man. I think the trade-off is this, is that he wants players who can play in the half space on the left and the right, but they need to be able to counter-press and play the nine. So he kind of wants all his cake and he wants to eat all of it, doesn't he, Scott? So what can he get us on the market now? There's lots of names, you know, we're going to talk about Jao Felix in a minute as well. But who can do that best? Well, one of the most elite strikers in Europe in terms of the press and assists and helping in that function is Veghorst, surprisingly enough. Hence why he was in Louis van Gaal's team at the World Cup. So not the most spectacular name. And I know, but, you know, we'll discuss him today because we look like that deal is going to get done. Besiktas is digging, are digging their heels in. But effectively, the player has said he wants to go and he's desperate to come back to the Northwest and start fresh with Man United for six months. And then maybe earn himself a permanent contract into next season. So you mentioned the Besiktas are being uh, digging their heels in a little bit. They have put a statement out. And just to catch you up on the situation, Veghorst uh, played for Burnley last season, was signed. Uh, Burnley were relegated. Veghorst then left on loan. Uh, Besiktas have an option to buy him at the end of the season. Doing quite well. I think he scored a few goals uh, and scored at the weekend as well. Uh, Besiktas obviously have him under contract at the moment on loan and would the way it's going, probably looking to take up their option in the summer. Uh, however, Man United have some interest there and are looking to facilitate the termination of that loan so they can take him. Essentially, that's it. Uh, Besiktas, obviously, knowing that they're in a powerful position, want to be compensated. Uh, and they put out a statement uh, earlier this week saying, after the match of our football A team against Kassim Passer in the Super League, there was a need to make a statement due to speculative news about our football player about Veghorst. The claim that there is an ex exit clause in our football player's contract stating that his contract can be terminated with a compensation of 2.5 million euros in case of an offer from the Premier League is fictitious. The, the, you know, uh, a lot of speculation jumping around. But, you know, if Besiktas didn't, weren't open to this at all, there would be no negotiation at all. So I think United want this one to be wrapped up pretty soon because they've got mm. some big matches coming up. They would like that extra striker option. And for me, I think this one gets done pretty pretty quickly. I would say even United would think that they can probably wrap this one up this week. Uh, will not be uh, obviously ready for the Charlton game, but I think he needs to be ready and registered uh, in the Premier League by Friday midday uh, if he's to play in the Manchester derby against Man City. That would be quite funny, wouldn't it, Rob, if he comes off the bench on Saturday and scores the winner against Man City after all of the kind of derision uh, he's received. But it does make a lot of sense to me. Uh, you know, you, you look at the Odin Agalo transfer a few years ago. That was desperation. This kind of reads a desperation, but at least there is this thought process behind it. And obviously they're not going to sign Victor Awesome and Harry Kane, Benjamin Sesko, any other like big name striker for a lot of money this month. 
So this is, this makes a lot of sense. Why does it make sense? It makes tons of sense because it's exactly what the manager needs and wants. So yeah, like this is the whole point about where we are with the sale of the club. It keeps re- like reverberating and going around in circles back to that. Is that you're trying to protect your wage structure as it stands. You don't want to add another big wage after losing Cristiano's, taking that half a million off the books. You don't want to put it back on. And Veghorst is is a super budget signing. You know, the guy's on really pittance. It's like 60, 70,000 pounds a week. So Manchester United are not really going to have to give him a huge pay rise to tempt him to come to Old Trafford, are they? It's a good opportunity for him. I also think that it's it's good to bring in players at this moment on loan who are absolutely motivated to do well and maybe not a loan signing, who is just motivated to collect the wage for six months and then maybe go back to his club in jail, Felix, someone like that. So there's that there's that logic there about Man United hunting through the marketplace to find a really good fit. And I think the thing is with, with uh, Veghorst is that he will give you the energy at number nine that you haven't really got at the moment. You know, totally the opposite Cristiano. So Cristiano might be the goal scorer and the the hero and the icon. This is the grafter. This is the guy who's going to come in and give you elite pressing stats. He's going to help you counter press. He's going to help his teammates. That's why you're signing him. Now, a lot of people will be saying to us, uh, this is a little bit glass half full, glass half empty. Not really. I think like you, I think it's quite logical. I think when you look at what you need, you're only looking for a bench piece, aren't you? Because that's what you lost with Cristiano. Cristiano was a bench player. Let's be honest. He wasn't going to be a starter long term. So you're looking for someone in the next six months who will sit on the bench. That is not Jao Felix. He's not. He wouldn't come to you to sit on the bench. He would demand to be a starter. Veghorst will come in, be selfless, and he will help others. And he's also known as a bit of a dressing dressing room mentality monster, Scott. He's known for being someone that gets in with his teammates and demands, gets in there and says, no, we're not going to just jog around this week. We're going to work hard and it starts with me. I like that. I like that kind of guy. And I think that's the kind of player that we need in the short term. Yeah, there's some suggestions. I'm not really sure where they're from. Maybe from uh, fans of other clubs. I know I've had conversations about this, that he's going to come in as first choice striker. No. Which, I mean, like, if I'm wrong, feel free to come at me. But I, I don't think that that is what is being explored here. This is more of a different option off the bench Ronaldo with energy you know this is yeah, this look, is a bit this yeah. is a better option for United squad than Ronaldo is yeah look some of the nationals were running yesterday will Veghorst get the number seven what are you talking about like this this is not what that signing is you're not you're not saying to Veghorst you've won the lottery and ego you're our new number seven and it's what we want you to be you're going to replace Cristiano I do think that in Ten Hag's system and I keep going back to that tactical like morphed idea about what a Ten Hag system is, is that you must buy players that fit that system. It's no good just signing someone that scores lots of goals. You've got to have the balance. And like you said there, like Anthony Martial is the number nine. And if Anthony Martial stays fit, he will be the starting number nine for the whole season. That's, that's just what it is. But if you get to a game where it's tricky and you need someone to do a little bit more and you need some more energy and you might need a little bit of height defending corners and and on set pieces and you need someone who's technically able make horse for 20 minutes off the bench is like absolutely ideal isn't it you know you saw it in the world cup rob yeah exactly you saw it in the world cup and it's kind of like cavani light you know like you knew with cavani when you stuck him on yeah he's a, a formerly elite striker you know people love him his game how he plays 
but he brings energy and he brings motivation, brings all sorts of these intangibles, doesn't he? Veghorst kind of brings that in a different way. And his stats, like you can't, the stats don't lie. I always say that as a journalist. I always go, look at the stats. And then what you think has to correlate to what actually happens on the numbers book. Like do, do those things, perception, does it count with the stats? And you can see there's a lot of United fans and people in football who don't actually know what Veghorst does. Because they're kind of like, oh, he's a big lump up top, new Peter Crouch. Because he's like over 6'4", you know, pushing 6'6". Six, six. Now he's actually a technical footballer. I got a quote here that I'm going to put out today that came originally from Ralph Ranick. And Ralph Ranick was talking about Veghorst and he kind of talked about his past in the Bundesliga. And he was like, for some reason, people who don't know Veghorst think that he's like a big aerial threat and he can be. He was like, but he's actually a technical player and is nowhere near being the aerial threat that people think. He plays the ball on the deck. Now that comes from Mr. Gagan Press himself. Do you know what I mean? Talking about this player. And this is why he was in Van Gaal's squad. Louis Van Gaal absolutely loves him because he's an energy guy and he gives you those stats, gives you those things that managers desperately want. So I think the big thing is about uh, Veghorst, Scott, is that under Sean Dyche at Burnley, Dyche was absolutely the worst possible manager he could have had because Dyche would have gone, you're six foot six, lad, are you? Oh, I know what we're going to do, you know. And unfortunately, that was a downfall of Dyche in the end, wasn't it, with that end of that Burnley project? That's kind of Burnley's owners wanted to go a different way and Dyche wanted to play the same football. I think Veghorst suffered for that. That's why he's having quite a good season at Besiktas. And I think they'll come to Man United. And whatever you deem a success, I think he will be more as a surprise element at Man United and be able to do stuff. I think he'll become quite a bit of a fan favourite. I think so too. Uh, we'll see. I think United are looking at, I've read, and this, the suggestions are to me that United would like to have no commitment beyond the end of this season uh, for any kind of short-term target. That's not to say that mm. they won't they won't be an option in this deal to trigger it, especially if it's a cheap one. Uh, but it does seem as though United are looking at a higher profile striker in the summer and whether Veghorst stays in as a third choice striker at the end at this at the start of next season if they can pick him up for a few million quid remains to be seen but i think united want a clean slate i think is the is the way that we've we've looked at it especially if there's new ownership especially if there is uh players who are going to be going out the door um and eric ten Hag is looking to build his team and uh i think just for for six months or so for what he adds to the team he's an eric like you say rob he's not He's six foot six, but he's not the. He's more than just an aerial threat. He's also an aerial threat, which United don't really have from set pieces, from yeah. crosses. You've seen Anthony and Bruno Fernandez and Luke Shaw and all these players who can cross, actually cross the ball nowadays. Uh, Casemiro seems to have been the only one really who who's, who has any knack of putting them away. So this is another thing you get into. Let's say it's one one in a game, and you want a different option for the next twenty minutes, and you have a set piece. Well, that's a immediately more of a threat mm. than let's say Anthony Martial is. Uh, I think there's a lot of pluses to this. Obviously the the default uh thought process is about very cost. Man United are finished in that. Oh absolutely. And and again the irony around <clears throat> the bigger story with the player is that you know as I just mentioned the Dice era and, and why it kind of failed for him. And he supposedly kind of fell out with the management at Burnley around that period in terms of that he wanted to play more football. You know, on the deck, he wanted kind of more, you know, to be put in and to kind of work and to kind of be in a press. And he wasn't being used like that. And he kind of made it quite known to to Burnley at that time that 
it wasn't working for him and, and each other. That's kind of why I think his numbers were so poor there. It was like a, the end of it. However, we have heard that Vincent Company really likes him. So Vincent Company is like Burnley top flight team next year. They were not happy that they had this deal on the table where they were going to lose the player for around 10.5 million to Besiktas because I think Besiktas would have triggered that. He's done really well there. He's really popular. He's done a good job. But Burnley might like the option of recalling him. And if they can do that with Man United, where they have a, a six-month loan, rip up that that deal with uh, with Besiktas because they don't want to move the player on, I would not be surprised that if he does well at Man United, that Burnley are then going, well, we want him back or he's 20 million now because he's an international footballer and he's done really well in your system. He's proved he's a Premier League footballer. Well, I Rob, think it's more, Burnley are a- top of the championship and t- top two positions are automatic, right? And then there's a playoff. Yeah. They are 14 points ahead of third place. And they're coming up. But Burnley are a really good team. Like We saw them obviously against us. We know what they are. And I think Vincent Company is a progressive manager. He's building something really good at Burnley. They are the opposite of Sean Dice Burnley now. They are. They're, they're a team... Who want to? Who have aspirations in a kind of what I would say wolf sense? You know, like when wolves were coming up, and it's that kind of team of where you're a traditionally old historic football club, but you've got new ways and means. Company looks at I think a player like Vegas and thinks, yeah, you could work in my attack in rotation. I'm sure they would love him back. So I think this is the bigger story of it. Veghorst himself, he does well at Old Trafford and Man United want him. Of course, I think he would want to stay at Manchester United. So there is that, you know, whether he'd want to go back to Burnley or not, I don't know. But Burnley are a Premier League team next year, Scott, and they surely will be. Players will be attracted to them, not just because of company, but because of the style of play. They are a really, really good team. And I think Veghorst now suits that version of Burnley than he ever did the previous incarnation. Let us know if you think Valt Veghorst is a good signing for Manchester United on the conditions of a six-month loan with either an option to buy or no option to buy and United move on into acquiring a striker that we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. Let us know uh, on Twitter, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore of underscore B, at MU, and leave a comment for us as well on this video. If you're not... uh, if you're only listening on audio, you can subscribe on YouTube as well. So give us a search. Uh, the Zhao Felix option, though, is gone by the, by the looks of it because Chelsea are mopping up every single player that exists. We Do we have to worry that they'll go and sign Val Veghorst from under United's noses? Are they going to sign Victor Osman, <laughs> and Harry Kane and Benjamin Sesko in one transfer window? We will have to wait and see, won't we? Zhao uh, Felix, it, it, it seems Chelsea have bitten... And there's no buy option in this deal for Jao Felix. So they are paying exactly what or close to what Atletico Madrid wanted and what Man United and Arsenal turned their noses up at. Yep. Crazy. Basically, it's it's mad. Sorry, I thought you were saying... No, no, no. no. Let's just just, just leave the silence there, Rob, to just just, uh, think about how mad it is. The hay bales again going across the screen, you know, looking at it. It, it's the numbers that they're putting up with it. Again, there's a little bit more to the story here. So Diego Simeone is probably going to leave the football club. We know this at the end of the season. It's got to that point where he also would like to come to the Premier League or kind of try something new. I think you'll probably see this player return to Atletico Madrid and be an important piece for them going forward. He's still on a massive wage there. But Chelsea are kind of just giving him a holiday in London. So we did know, this is where the Arsenal side of it came in, is that Arsenal didn't want 
to be the holiday destination. They wanted someone that could help them. And João Felix, of course, is a very good footballer. You've talked about him in glowing terms, Scott. I know you like him. I like um, him. I do, yeah. I he's like a good him. player. He's a good player. But having a load of good players doesn't mean you've got a good team. Man United have done that for 10 years. Plenty of good players, plenty of talent, rubbish team. You know, and I think when you're looking at Chelsea now, they've got a good coach, but he, he can't knit this together because it's a long, long project. And all these players that they're bringing in actually I don't think helps him. Doesn't help trying to integrate more talent, more talent, more talent. What happens? You're not playing well. You're not where you are. You're 10th. You know, Sterling gets an injury. Just buy another striker. Another player, another player, another player. No, you actually need smaller numbers to work with and progress and move them on. So I, this is why I'm not too low on Man United, not trying to buy everyone, because we've tried to do that in the past. And Chelsea's project now kind of mirrors a little bit what the Glazers oh, have done at Man United. it absolutely does. This is, this is the one thing that I've looked at and noticed with this Chelsea project. Give him Badia Shield, who was linked with Man United a couple of years ago for like 80 million quid or however much it was. Yeah. A seven and a half, a seven year contract. Yeah. He's 20, he's early 20s, you know, so that takes him right through. Chelsea, Chelsea are saying themselves, and this isn't a Chelsea podcast, but I'm just looking at like, I've seen each, probably each of their last five managers or assistant managers. Hmm. It was a tweet that went around about how this squad lacks motivation. And then you yeah. go and give a, an unproven, relatively unproven defender, I know he's played for Monaco for a few years, a seven year contract. Hmm with a guaranteed wage. You look at Enzo Fernandez, who I know the pursuit is over, but you look at Enzo Fernandez, who moved six months ago to Europe for like 40 million euros. Yeah. And he has a release clause of 120. And you indicate that you'd like to go and trigger it just at like a few weeks after he's won the World Cup. What yeah. does that do for motivation? If you're going to throw in money around like that at young players who've just, uh, a guy who's won the World Cup, he could think his career's done. I don't, I don't know the guy, I rate the player, but... It's not the, for me, it's not the right approach. I mean, I look at players like Datro Fofana and Chiquemica, those kind of yeah. players. I agree with those signs. I think they're good acquisitions. Yeah. Andres Santos as well. But it's all over the place. Well, you look at Fofana from Leicester, you look at that deal and what they paid and the premium they paid on that for a player who's got an absolutely horrible injury record. All right, yeah, it might have a lot of potential going forward. Like, you know, we talk about development projects but they paid a lot of money for a player that can't really help them this year and might not be able to help them going forward. Not, not every week. Do you know what I mean? So I think when you look at that Chelsea project, it's so skewed and the new owners there are, are playing like a, a, a video game of signings of like, yeah, he's good. He's good. He's good. And of course some will land and some will be good and we'll go, Oh, that was a good signing. And then other players will come and you'll think, what are they actually doing? What's the philosophy here? They've got a coach now who's a philosophy monster and has been known for identifying players in the market who maybe are not traditionally big names and bringing them into his team. But the vital point here is that's taken years to develop, years at Brighton. Now, they've just got a Nick Brighton's director of football as well, haven't they, and brought them mm -hmm. to the football club for recruitment. So they've, they've got an idea upstairs of what they want to do, but they just seem to be going out and just splashing the cash and kind of doing this, like what I would call Glazer power play. You know, where Glazers would just spend 200 million like that. And we've done our jobs. Well, you haven't. You've done no recruitment. You've just signed players and given them big wages. So, um, yeah, this is not a Chelsea podcast, but vitally, they are one of our contenders for top four. So we will talk about these clubs around there because it's interesting about how you compare these things. And I think that Ten Hag's got the right ideas that we don't need to go and do that. We don't need to go and buy every player 
go and buy the right player. I know it sounds easy on paper and it isn't, but that's the, the philosophy you should have. And Man United, I think, have got a bit more of a methodical approach now in that is that they won't overpay. And they should never have paid that money for Jao Felix. I'm quite happy they didn't because I don't think Jao Felix gives you a better opportunity of getting top four for the money that you're, ta you're taking on for him. He's just a shirt seller, Scott. Jao Felix would sell tons of shirts at Man United. I don't want players that do that. I want the right players coming in. So I'd rather get a budget version like Veghorst and see what happens. And then in the summer, go and find that marquee striker that you really need maybe to take you to the next level. You might be pleasantly surprised by some of the kind of, what I would say, co-stars in the team who are not, not really the most popular names, but they might be the ones that get you top four at the end of the day. Talk about those strikers in a little bit. I just want to finish off on Chelsea, though. Like we're talking about the, it, it, it does remind me of the Glazers, and there's mm. so many players coming in. How does Graham Potter? How much of a? I'm sure Graham Potter has. He might get told that these players are coming in, but how can he go and like build a team with the sheer volume of players that you're? The squad was massive anyway. Totally. And we, again, we were told when he went to Chelsea that he, um, that he would be massively involved in the recruitment cycle, that that was going to be a thing. These, these moves in the last few weeks absolutely prove he isn't, he's not involved. It, it, it's yeah. being run from upstairs because he's being given players. And even when he's doing his presses after, he's talking like that. He's kind of going... Oh, you know, got a load of injuries and got these, you know, we, we, we will have signings, I believe. And all, and it's a bit like, oh, yeah, really? Like, you will have signings, you believe. Like, you know, you're going to get plays. You just don't know if it's plays you want. So I think maybe longer term, Chelsea will slow it down and they'll get there. But will the manager survive that period of time? Like, I, I think that Luis Enrique's name is potentially already on the, on the, the list at Stamford Bridge. And that could be something that happens sooner rather than later. And do, do, do Chelsea just run out of time on Potter? Like, I think they'd like to keep Potter because he is the, the, the chairman's man, but it doesn't take very long to lose face. You know, if you lose football matches over and over and over and over again, you very quickly become David Moyes at Man United. You know, you're you're the next big manager, six-year contract, you know, grassroots manager. That's what you want. Sacked in 11 months. That could very much happen to Graham, Graham Potter. And wouldn't it be sad for him to lose that job at Brighton, do Chelsea, get sacked at Chelsea, and have to slip back down the order to find another job? Let's stop talking about Chelsea and let's... Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Talk about enough Chelsea. Let's talk about Man United. I'm sure Chelsea will be after Harry Kane or Benjamin Sesco if they're going to move anywhere, or even Victor Osserman. But we'll talk about these uh, now. I said earlier we reported at 90 min months ago that United were, and we did it on this podcast as well. I think that United were looking at mm -hmm. potentially giving RB Leipzig a little bit more money than they're outlaying to buy from their sister club. Benjamin Sesco, where he's going to move uh, to Leipzig in the summer as it stands. Although I think that's for a cut price, 20 million euros, something around that. If they can double their money flipping quite quick to a club like Man United or somebody else, I'm sure that makes actually makes good 
business sense for everyone. I think even a, a 40 million euro player for Man United isn't too much of a risk nowadays. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big price. One of the most highly rated young players in the world, uh, or in Europe, let's say in Europe. Uh, he's looking all right. He's got a few goals this season. But obviously the two that are sticking out have been circulating are Victor Osserman from Napoli and Harry Kane mm-hmm. of Tottenham. Harry Kane linked with Man United a ton of times across the course of his career. Mm-hmm. And a big shout out as well, actually, to another former Tottenham player who uh, has been linked with Man United many, many times before, who retired yesterday, Gareth Bale. What a career. Uh, absolute legend. I would have loved to have seen him at Old Trafford at some point, even if it was now, to be honest, just because he... I think Thank my, God he... we didn't take him on loan. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> when it was offered to him and it was all there, and Man United said no, I was like... Thank God. Gareth Bell, great player. I know you love him, Scott. You know, fellow Welshman. I know he's a, an icon and a god uh, for you. But ultimately, oh my God. It was, again, that was a classic one where United could have pulled a trigger on that because they were asking and they were asking a lot. They were kind of going, this could be the answer to it. Can you imagine? It would have been like another Ronaldo. It would have been, oh, Gareth Bell spotted on a golf course somewhere in Cheshire. Why are you not at training? I don't want that. I know you love him. And, and he has been an icon, like, you know, the debate about is he the greatest British footballer of all time? Sorry, Scott, no, he isn't. Like, you know, George Best, Bobby Charlton, for starters. You know, you got that as a British footballers. But, um, but yeah, I, he's been great. And I think he's one of those players that he'll be remembered for the great stuff as time goes along. At the moment, it's people still kind of mention him in a, in a dour tone sometimes. But what a player, you know, he's really, you know, what he did at Real Madrid as Ronaldo-like was really good. You know, he never really quite replaced Ronaldo, did he? That was what he was bought for. But my God, he scored some good goals and won some trophies. He also took a country of three million people to heights they would never dream of. Uh, of course. Which is, it's not England, is it? Anyway, uh, let's talk <laughs> about uh, Victor Osterman and Harry Kane and Benjamin yes. Fesco. So yes. three players potentially targeted in the summer. Let's let's, let's say, right, Val Weghorst signs. Mm-hmm. Six months, comes in, scores five goals. Good option off the bench. United get top four. Mm-hmm. I think that's the ideal scenario. Win a trophy as well. Great. Uh, I think that would be absolutely fantastic for a first season for Eric Ten Hag, especially mm-hmm. after the way it started. Yeah. Then United in the summer, look at the holes that they have in their squad. Mm-hmm. So I think we'll agree, Rob. Right back probably needs addressing. The goalkeeper needs to be addressed, whichever way they do it. Central midfield is still an issue. Right centre-back is probably an issue, but I think that one can be put off maybe until until the summer after. Uh, Right wing, potentially. And then centre-forward. I think centre-forward and central midfield, for me, are the two standout uh, summer transfer window moves that I think they should make with right back alongside. If if I pick three positions, it would probably be those at, at the moment as it stands. So, striker... Obviously, looks to be a position that Ten Hag knows he needs to upgrade in. Anthony Martial is injured quite mm-hmm. a bit. He's not really doing it at the moment. Let's see if he can answer the critics. He has plenty of them. Who would you pick, <laughs> Rob? Well, look, a lot of this is going to be decided over the next few months about how the story and the script of Manchester United plays out towards the end of the season, isn't it? Whether you get top four or not. It's going to... Gonna, dictates so much in terms of what you can go and get because what is vital is that if you want a big name striker you're going to have to be in the Champions League you have to be so because not just because the player wants to play in the Champions League but 
that generates the cash and the revenues for you to go and get the player that you want. So there is a connection there. It doesn't mean that you can't get players, but it's the player that you want if you want a marquee signing. So who do you go and get out of those three? If you can assume that, say, Anthony Martial has a decent season and wants to stay, and I think that that is the case, the manager likes him, he likes the manager, can see him staying. Marcus is going to get a new contract. We know that. We, that's the way that's going to go. We think that Langer will probably be shown the door, might be sooner rather than later in terms of a loan deal and then maybe out full time. So say Veghorst comes in and does exactly what he says on the tin, you know, in terms of his numbers and stats, just what he does. I think you could see him maybe staying as well. So that would be three strikers, three players that you can play through the middle. So if you go on the philosophy that most managers do want four for the nine position to be able to do different things, who do you go and sign? Well, you and me deliberately have said we're not going to talk about Harry Kane for a few weeks. So we've known a little bit about this going back over time before the World Cup. And we were like, we'll save it because we want to kind of see where it it's goes. It's actually earlier, though, than I thought. It is earlier. I was, I, literally, I was about to say, I, th I said, but I thought we were going to kind of talk about this maybe when United had a bit more of a striking crisis. So the next time Martial pulls his hamstring, it'll be like, who are United going to sign in six months? But we're kind of already there, aren't we? We know that. United do want a striker and want a striker that can do different things. So the two big names, I don't want to talk too much about Sesco because I think Sesco is still your development project. Mm -hmm. Really good player, young, would totally fit that if you're going to buy him for around 40 million, around that mark, that you could bring him in as a rotation piece. And at 19-20, he might be okay with playing less games in the short term to become your full-time striker, get the opportunity. No problem. That would be a no-brainer if you could get him for 40 million. But when you look at Kane and Osserman, and I put this out yesterday where I did a little stats piece on Twitter about them, and kind of said, when you look at the stats, Harry Kane is absolutely more suited to the Ten Hag system than Osserman. And straight away, people went, oh, how can you say that? That's rubbish, that's rubbish. But what I mean is this, is that you need a player that can play in half spaces, but is absolutely effective when he drops deep in the counter, in the counter press. So when he gets the ball... He's been doing it for touch, years at Tottenham. Harry Marcus Kane. Rashford and Harry Kane. Goodness me. It, it, the, the thing about Veghorst, and this is what Veghorst is good at, and then this is what you'd be expanding on with Harry Kane, is that if a player drops from 9 to 10 into the gap and you're in a counter-press and you rob the ball back, you need a striker that can play that assist in. Yeah? Now, Osserman isn't that player. Mm-hmm. Osserman is brilliant, and Osserman could become the best striker in the world. I absolutely think that. And I'm not saying Man United should not explore signing Osserman. But come on, he's doing brilliantly in Napoli. It's going to cost you a fortune one way or the other. So these two players, I don't think price really matters. I actually think Harry Kane will probably cost more in some I ways. think Osserman will cost more. I've but got to be honest. When we come to the summer, exactly. When we come to the summer, Osserman might be the best striker in the world, and your Haaland you know, equivalent across Europe and across the world. And you might be paying that money for him, like big, big money to get him out of Napoli. And you might be looking at Harry Kane at a dysfunctional Tottenham Hotspur. Might have sacked their manager by then, might not have had a good season. And Harry Kane wants to move from Tottenham if Tottenham cannot deliver success. So that's the bottom line. But that's a Kane might force his way out in that way. We know that Harry Kane, if he gets the project he wants, he is off. He's going to be out the door. So in that time of the six months, Scott, United have to build their project to look appealing to these top players. And what we're kind of hearing from agents and people around Europe and football is that people like it. People are looking at United and going, Glazers out the door, new owners in, 
And we'll talk a little bit about ownership at the end because there's a little bit I want to kind of add on that. And if you can do that around Ten Hag and have a strong manager and a strong dressing room and you come top four, job done. You're there. You're at that point where you can attract the talent you want. Harry Kane's metrics are like crystal clear built for a Ten Hag team in that, yeah, he scores loads of goals, but he doesn't actually need loads of chances to score those goals. And he assists, like his assist rate is absolutely crazy in terms of helping others around him. And he'll press without a lot of hard work. Like he's not like Veghorst, he doesn't run loads, but he's positioned perfectly. He's always in the right position. And Ten Hag loves that. Someone who's economical with their strength and their speed and their pace. And you know that with someone like with Harry Kane, how many goals he scored in the Premier League? Almost 200, Mm -hmm. something like that. You know what you get in a player that knows how to score against every team in the Premier League. Now, Osman could give you all of that, but with Osman, there are different questions. And you would have to stylistically change a little bit of what you're doing now. If you're being successful doing this, Scott, under Ten Hag, will Ten Hag want to do something different for a different kind of number nine? No. And that's why he's bringing Veghorst in, because Veghorst is your kind of Sebastian Haller light. That's what he took at. He took him at Ajax. And did amazing things with that player. Player was completely unfashionable and, you know, out of everyone's mind of being an option. So that's where we are now. And I think going forward, I think Harry Kane will be the prime target. Let me talk about. So I'll compare Osman and Kane. Hmm. If Tottenham don't get top four, I think Harry Kane with a year left in his, on his contract. If he was to sign a new deal, that is Harry Kane's career done. That is Harry Kane deciding, I'm staying at Tottenham, I'm going to do... Bayern Munich will probably have had interest, but I think, well, I know uh, from information that Harry Kane wants to become the Premier League's all-time top scorer. Yeah. I don't think that's... I, I don't know if you'll be able to find many people who will say that he doesn't. that doesn't really matter to him. I think that will probably play a big a big part in any totally. decision he makes. He has one year left on his contract as it stands in a Tottenham project that is either going to fall flat on its face and re- completely restart in the summer or is just going to... It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be title contention. I, I don't think the way that Daniel Levy is going to try and spend money under Antonio Conte, if, even if he stays. It just it doesn't make sense to me. I think you've got a ceiling on it. United have the new ownership thing. Harry Kane has a year left on his contract. This, I would guess, 80, 70 million. Victor Osserman, if he wins the if he wins the league with Napoli, is you're a hundred million pound player, possibly more than that. That would be United's record signing. I think you could probably get Harry Kane for somewhere around the current figure. Um, this is me guessing, but I just thinking logically. Tottenham's negotiation position with a year left on his deal is not going to be great. Otherwise, he walks away for free in a mm-hmm. year. Victor Osman then it costs more than Harry Kane. Yes, he has a longer term, uh, longer term value. However, he comes in with this price tag on his head, and you know I've been doing this for years. This price tag on his head, untried in the Premier League. I'm not saying that he won't work, but that is a hell of a lot of pressure for anyone to contend with. And while I'm not saying. I wouldn't take Victor Osman if that's the way that United decides to go. I'm sure it would be great. But Harry Kane makes too much sense to me. And there's people who are saying, oh, he's a bottler. He doesn't have the right mentality for it. He missed a penalty for England. Have you seen his penalty record across his career? Like, that's that can happen to anyone. Bruno Fernandes missed penalties. Ronaldo missed a penalty in the Champions League final in 2008. Yeah. Look what he's gone on to do. And Harry Kane also... If Tottenham didn't have Harry Kane, would Tottenham be Tottenham? Absolutely no. not. 
I think Harry Kane makes so much sense that there's a, a Rashford, uh, or, sorry, a, a Son and Kane partnership, that kind of dropping in deep, playing someone in behind. Marcus Rashford can fill that gap easily. You might have to work on how he works with Bruno Fernandes, but I'm sure Bruno Fernandes would love the opportunity to work with Harry Kane. It just makes too much sense to me. He's, he's guaranteed 20 goals a season in the Premier League. And this really gives United an added threat up front. And I think this is the absolute optimal one. And Harry Kane, just one more thing. 29, 30 years old. Mm. People saying, oh, well, by 33, he's, be, he's going to be finished. Have you? Do you understand how intelligent Harry Kane is? Mm. Do, do you understand like those types of players and how knowing mentally how, where, what, what position to occupy on the pitch and knowing how to operate, especially with the injuries he's had, he's going to try and protect himself. I reckon Harry Kane could go until he's 36, 37, personally. Totally, totally. And I think the thing is, Harry Kane has had injury problems over the years, but there is definitely a trend towards that he's kind of sorted a lot of those things out like some of those kind of more repetitive injuries that he used to get. And, and I do think, again, it, 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 it talks to loads about what's around you. At Tottenham, he is Tottenham. You know, there is no doubt about it. If you don't have Harry Kane at Tottenham, Tottenham are not a top six club, probably. You know, they are going to be flirting well away from the Champions League places. So getting to Harry Kane on one stand actually hurts one of your nearest competitors. That's a, a big thing about it. But I think the other side of the coin is this is that Harry Kane will come to Man United and make players around him better. So Osman might come to your team and score all the goals. But like I said about Ronaldo last year, and there is a kind of premise that matches here. You don't want a striker that gets you 40 and you come sixth. It's no point. You need a player who is going to get you 15, 20, 25, but also get you 15 assists and help those around you. So those things become really important, especially a manager like Eric Ten Hag. So... This isn't about just talking up Harry Kane. Like I'm not, like, I, I'm not saying I'm not a fan of Harry Kane or I'm a fan of Harry Kane. I'm looking at this purely from metrics and from fit and the player himself. Harry Kane is not a bottler. He's been England captain for ages. He's been the kind of figurehead of that international team for such a long time. And he's done the job, hasn't he? He's got the goals and he's proved at Tottenham that when Tottenham have had lean periods, he's pulled them back. And you said that the, the actual... Um, the, the conjunction between him and Son. I think that Kane and Bruno Fernandes has kind of similarities there. Like Bruno will like running from those areas of the pitch yeah, that Son that does. Too. Yeah, in the half space and finding the space because Harry Kane attracts so much attention. And Harry Kane knows this. And Harry Kane is unselfish, quite happy to go and stand somewhere to open up a big space, something that Ronaldo never did. So you've got all of these things and these uh, kind of key performance indicators that you really know that Ten Hag's looking for. So Kane is coming to the end of his time at Tottenham in terms of the contract. So where else could he go? I think the big, the big club that I've said for a year with him, and he could go to, of course, is Newcastle United. I still believe that Newcastle can put the money up. They can trump United massively in terms of any contract. And they could also make... Uh, Harry Kane, their next Alan Shearer. Because th their fans are desperate for a player like Harry Kane, aren't they? A new a new godhead to come up there. I think Harry Kane quite like that. He'd get the Premier League goal-scoring record there, no doubt. But I also think Man United might be more towards what he wants in terms of the glamour. You know, like looking at a club like United, because that takes you to the next level. You do it at Man United, you're a football legend forever, aren't you? You're not just the guy that was scored a lot of goals at Tottenham.
So there is all of that on the table. It will play out in the press and we'll talk about all of it as we hear more pieces. But I think Harry Kane is the ideal player for Ten Hag. But hey, if Harry Kane gets some injuries this year and looks a bit of an injury risk, it might happen, you never know. Mm-hmm. Then in the summer, we might be going, actually, it's Sesco. Sesco's had a good season. He's 19-20. He's the next big thing. Go pay you 40 million and bring him into rotation. And you kind of build your project a little bit more slowly. Harry Kane makes you win now. And that's the other attraction of it, is that you bring him in next year, he takes you up a level, both for scoring goals and assisting. The immediate uh, response to that, I'm sure Rob will be, Harry Kane's never won anything. He's not going to help you win now. I mean, it's such a blunt way to look at it, but Tottenham have won anything. Tottenham have won one trophy in 50 odd years, you know, like, oh, however long it's been. Man United have won nothing in 10 years, pretty much. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, you know, what, what are we, the Harry Kane equivalent? You know, it, it doesn't work. Football doesn't work like that. It's about opportunity. So I, I, I don't I don't subscribe at all to this whole he's a bottler thing. I, I've never seen anything like that, Harry Kane. All I've ever seen with him is that he's very self-disciplined, very self-motivated, very assured about what he's good at. And he does all those things. And he doesn't flirt with being selfish or flirt with the idea of, oh, I've got to be bigger than the team. He's never been like that. So again... You know, the other side I said on Twitter the other day was about the leadership issue, is that if Ten Hag wants more leaders, and again, this is a veg horse, there's a type leader type guy in the dressing room. Harry Kane has also got that. He's a captain. He's done that. He's led teams. And even though he's a quiet leader, he certainly demands standards, doesn't he? We know that about him. When he talks, he says all the right things. So uh, that's the fit I can see happening for Man United. And United do also want a marquee signing to sell the shirts they do they want those players as well so that all fits together doesn't it he would sell a lot more shirts as England captain than Osserman would so there is all of that talk as well commercial side of the business we'll look at Harry Kane and they say that ticks a massive box for us if we've got new owners and we're looking for a new method how will Harry Kane sign for Man United though if they're wage capping that's, mm. uh, that's our final top final topic of today's show. I don't know if you've seen this, but there was a suggestion over the weekend that Man United will cap all new deals under a Ronaldo rule at £200,000 a week. Ronaldo was earning two and a half times that Mm -hmm. uh, during his time at the club. And United have Marcus Rashford to tie down to a new contract. They also have about three, four, five players who are earning twice as much, nearly twice as much as that. So um, how... What did you react? How did you react to this piece, Rob? And does it make any sense? Is it worth its salt? No, I don't think it is. So we 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 were chatting about this, weren't we? We did a little bit of investigating and kind of asked around and kind of asked the right people. Um, yeah, it's a red top story. It's come through that that Man United want to have a wage cap of two hundred grand. I don't know any team in the modern game that does that at the top level has a wage cap. You could be more frugal, Scott, and you can like not waste money. Like that's that's wise, isn't it, for any team? Like, don't just chuck a load of money at Jao Felix and then say to Jao Felix, well, you might you might play, you might not play, we haven't got an option on you, you're gonna go home, you know, at the end of the deal and all of this. Don't do that because that's stupid. But ultimately, you can't say to your top players and players you're going to attract that there is a cap because in football, and I think this this needs to change in in soccer, you know, in football globally. Wage caps, I think, are actually a good thing. They're a good way to manage your business. It happens in other sports in America, and they do it successfully. And the sports like football globally that do not have wage caps hemorrhage tons of cash. It's a silly way of doing it. You should have a wage cap. 
But Man United are not going to just invent one. And I don't think new owners are going to come in and want to be attractive to the marketplace by saying, well, we're building a new team here, a new project, but, you know, 200 grand a week's your level. You're not getting 250 out of us. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean, Sesco's agent? You know, like long term, yeah, he's going to get 200. He's never going to get more than 201,000 pounds a week. It's stupid. It's not real. So this is kind of something that's come out of tabloids. We don't believe it is real. It's just someone putting two and two together and making seven. Um, that happens a lot, doesn't it, in the industry? But overall, I think when we look at the ownership, and I kind of wanted to end this on, on the ownership, we haven't really talked about this off camera too much. But I sent something in our group text the other day about Lewis Hamilton and the mm. potentials here of what's going on with the ownership issue. Now, we do believe that when it comes to the Glazers, you know, obviously they're open to selling to anyone. They kind of they just want their money effectively, the best deal possible. That does look like Dubai as it stands. But the British side of it is obviously that that we know that Jim Ratcliffe's interested in the football club. And Jim Ratcliffe has these incredible ties, really, obviously, with Mercedes principal uh, ownership there and Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton has spoken recently and said that he would like to get into a football project with Sir Jim Radcliffe. Said it out loud. You know, he said, I'd like to do it. Not being asked about Manchester United, he was asked about that and he went, no, I've not really been asked about that. But, you know, it's something I would like to do if it was there. So I think that kind of the story of this ownership thing now is going to start unraveling a little bit more and we'll hear more names because it's gone quiet, hasn't it? People are doing their due diligence, Scott, and people don't want to talk about how much money they're willing to, to put up for Man United. I think this is the next step now. And wage caps and all that, no, no owner is going to start putting that into any offer and say, yeah, we're going to come to the club, but we want wage caps and all this. Not going to happen in football. Not in, not in, Certainly not in the Premier League, which is all about commerce and capitalism. So I think the Lewis Hamilton thing's got legs. I think we'll hear a little bit more on that now in the next few weeks. And let's see what Jim Ratcliffe's move is, because I said on our show here months ago, put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, you talk a lot, Jim Ratcliffe, about putting money up and buying a big football club in England and buying Man United potentially, put your money where your mouth is. Your opportunity is now. Put it on the table and buy the football club. Otherwise, go away. Say you're not doing it. And he's doing neither at the moment. So let's see where that goes, because I think that's the next bit of the story in terms of the Manchester United boardroom. Yeah, we'll wrap up there. Let us know uh, your thoughts and opinions. We went pretty strong on Harry Kane uh, a little bit earlier, Rob. Uh, I'm sure that sentiment is not shared across the fan base. Not globally. Like, not globally. I don't think, like, again, like foot, foot, footballers have different pockets of popularity, don't they? Like, there's a whole big swathe of United fans abroad that have this idea that Man United have to sign English players and that United, oh, if this player's English and they sign him, you know, Harry Maguire's English, that's why they spent 80 million on him. Well, yes, that's why he was expensive. There is that part of the English tax, as I call it, when you're buying a top English player. But I don't think it works like that. I don't think new owners are going to come in and think, oh, yeah, we have to buy Harry Kane because he's English. I know there's, there is that in the in the fan base. I think United will go for the best player for the system and they'll back Ten Hag. But again, if it doesn't, new man, does a new owner come in and do they want Ten Hag or do they have their own guy? Like that might be a stickler come the summer. We don't know, do we? Let's hope they stick with Ten Hag. I like him. I like what he's trying to build. Harry Kane, I think, is just the fit. Doesn't mean Harry Kane is the guy. And as I said, I think Newcastle could probably put a bigger offer towards him in terms of a wage deal and a long-term deal than may, maybe Man United were able to. Let us know if you think Harry Kane is the right fit. Let us know if you would prefer Victor Osserman. Uh, talk to us about about Verkost in the comments and on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promise and MU. 
for the show. Uh, subscribe, Apple, Google, Spotify, and the likes, and follow us on YouTube twice a week. Tuesdays and Fridays will drop shows. Uh, like, subscribe, join the community, and as I said, leave a comment there for us. Rob, thanks very much for today's show. United play against Charlton in the League Cup on Tuesday night and then play Manchester City in the Manchester derby on Saturday. Uh, we'll be back to preview that game, I'm sure, and to talk about what's happened in the League Cup. Hopefully there's no embarrassing exit for United, but uh, we, you know, we're recording just a few hours ahead of that game. So fingers crossed everything goes okay. Uh, let us know anything you'd like us to talk about in future shows as well and uh, really appreciate the love and support. Any final thoughts, Rob? No, I just want to reiterate what you said there about comment. If you're watching the show and you watch the show every week and we obviously take it, you probably subscribed in that time. Just give us a comment on what you think. Yeah, go into the, in our YouTube comments. And obviously a lot of you guys uh, kind of message us on Twitter anyway on our timelines and talk about the show. Go in the comments now after the show if you liked what you've, what you've heard from us and just give us your opinion because we like to be able to go back over those comments and see what you guys feel because... This is what it's about, isn't it? This is a show for fans. You know, we're football fans as well. We love Manchester United and we know you do. So jump in that comments, share, like, subscribe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, tell us your thoughts. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you later this week for another Promised Land. Is your wallet a little lighter than usual after the holiday season? Consider it money well spent because you deserve to live your best life and the Chime checking account wants to help you live yours to the fullest. A little extra money goes a long way, which is why the Chime checking account has tons of benefits that millions of members love, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and access to over 60,000 easy-to-find and fee-free ATMs. You even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit, all while managing your money on the go, including sending and receiving money fee-free with friends that aren't even on Chime. Sign up for Chime today for you and your wallet. Get started at Chime.com slash Goals24. That's Chime.com slash Goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.